0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: With the Chicago Bears season over and the NFL playoffs well underway, the Bears have begun to make moves to prep for 2020. And I bring on ECD in a mega podcast to walk through every single one of these moves in detail hirings, firings, extensions, and more, it's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, the Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And I've got a great show planned for you because for the first time in the 45 50 some odd episodes that I've had, I had somebody reach out to me today to say, Hey, let's get a show together. We've got a lot to talk about. I've got ECD with me from uh, Windy City Gridiron, and we are ready to roll. Last time we talked, I believe it was that uh, it was when I had my tornado incident, I believe right around the Chargers game, was it? And suffice to say, the season did not end the way that any of us would have liked. And uh, I mean, he said it best in the pre show. This is a week where right now the Bills are up 10 to nothing on the Houston Texans. We're recording midday on a Saturday, and it is a day where we would be expecting and have been hoping for the Bears game to happen later today or even next week. But that's that's not what happened, because the next game is obviously not until next season. Disappointing season. ECD, what were your overall thoughts?
0: Alright, so Eric DeWachter here. Good to see you again. But my overall thoughts this season is this is the biggest disappointment we've had in the last decade. I'm willing to say this is a bigger disappointment than the season after the Super Bowl appearance. Because most teams, they go to the Super Bowl, then they mix it, they miss it entirely the next year. This year was supposed to be all about offense 2.1 or offense 201. You know the defense is supposed to be still as dominant, and yeah, defense was good, but the Bears just fell completely short of expectations and barely got to 500 this year. So it's there's a lot for them to fix internally. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, they've already got a head start on it, as we'll discuss. But I can't be more disappointed of a season than I was last year. Absolutely. I mean,
1: somebody said this really well. I think it was uh, Jason Leitzer. i getting his name wrong. But anyways, so uh, what somebody said is that if if we're really honest with ourselves, the worst part about this year is that it's a pretty good Bears season over the last decade that eight and eight is better than a lot of years. And that, I think, has been the biggest frustration with this. I'm with you. I think this is one of the most disappointing seasons in a long, long time. And I wish we had our own Jack Silverstein to try to put it into real, like, seriously historical perspective. But all I can say was, I was really excited for the Bears to continue being good. And instead, it felt like they spent the entire season fighting off the moniker of bad team And at the end of it, we're not even sure if they did like they ended eight and eight uh, because they beat the Vikings in a game where the Vikings started no one. And it still took a last second, fourth quarter drive to beat that nobody team. I mean, this was a weird year. And there were a couple of games we look back at. We look at the Saints game. We look at the Chiefs game, I think fits in this category of good teams that just laid us out. I mean, they, they gave us no quarter. Uh, and then you look at other games, like the Washington game, uh, both Detroit games I think fit into this, where we laid them out, uh, the second Detroit game, moreover. I know that that one was a little bit tight, but you look at the way Trubisky was playing, that was a revelatory game in terms of just how things felt. But you end the season, uh, you're 7-8 and eight going into Week 17, you win that Week 17 game, finish 8-8. Eight and eight. What? A disappointing year, and even more so. Before I throw it back to you, th- it felt as if almost every single position group got worse, <laughs> and that's almost always times where I would be pointing at a head coach. I'm serious. Like I, if if this was any other season, I even said this to you weeks ago against the Chargers, I'd be pointing at coaching and you know there's going to be fingers that are pointed at coaching but given how strange last year was in terms of it felt as if naggy was working wizardry with the offense this year We didn't get any wizardry from Nagy because it felt like everybody was bad. And you looked at everybody's individual performance. I mean, everybody. Montgomery felt like he was doing some amazing things on one place, and then he blocked somewhat poorly, or he'd pick a poor running lane. And I'm not trying to call David Montgomery bad. I'm more just using him because we could point at Anthony Miller, and everybody knows the story. We could point at the offensive line. Everybody knows the story. We could point at the quarterback. Everybody knows the story. There's even running back issues, though. Tariq Cohen... That guy had a really poor season this year. It felt like everybody got worse. you talked about the defense. I thought, I think that they were underrated this year. But underrated is in. They weren't average. They were good. That's that's not enough. I don't know what a bizarre season.
0: When it comes down to the nitty gritty, why do you think it happened? So when it comes to nitty gritty, I mean, I'm going to throw back to you know last offseason. It came down to a missed field goal by none other than Cody Double Doink Parkey. And last offseason was spent almost entirely on finding a new kicker. This offseason, it's all about finding an offense, which is way harder to do. So when it comes down to the entire philosophy of the offense, and we'll probably talk more about this in length in a few moments, the coaching staff just kind of had this false clout of security coming into 2019 because we assumed – Everybody in offense was just going to be better in their second year together, but the run game design was poor. The execution was bad. Players were figured out instantly where the bears were scouting themselves for a new kicker. The other 31 teams in the league were scouting the Chicago bears. And I feel they came in with too many assumptions that players would get better. As you mentioned, it is on coaching, and luckily they have actually already started firing a few coaches. Um, biggest culvert to me was Mark Helfrich. I understand people like, well, he didn't call the plays. But you saw just how poorly disorganized the offense was. You saw how receivers and their routes were stacked on top of each other. You know, Anthony Miller, Al Robinson would be on top of each other in the same route. And you're wondering, what the heck is going on? Was that by design? Was it miscommunication? And, of course, going to Drabisky, he just progressed in a bad way. I mean, overall, the execution of 2018 was missing. Those big plays we got last year, they were really good execution. I think there was some decent execution last year. Teams did not know what to expect from the Bears on offense, and they took advantage of it. This year, they knew what the Bears were going to do. They had all that film to use to their disposal. And it's just the Bears decided not to make adjustments going into the season and throughout the majority of the season. They didn't really make adjustments. And until it's too late where now we're missing the playoffs, coaches had to be fired. And it really just comes down to finding an identity on offense, which I really hope is what they're doing with their next offensive coordinator for whatever they decide to do with that position, because if they can't get that figured out, there's not much else they can do to get better. Now, it's just I, be completely rebellious.
1: Yeah, and I think it's hilarious that you talk about identity. I, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before in another episode. I firmly believe the Bears have an identity, but what they don't have is a productive identity. Their Mm. big problem this season, because I think that's important. It reminds me of how, and I know you don't do this, but plenty of fans do. They'll talk about the play calling, and they won't actually talk about the play calling as much as they'll say, I don't like that we aren't scoring points and getting yards. Does that make sense? It makes er sense. To some people saying, I hate the play calling is a way easier way of saying, I think Alan Robinson, David Montgomery, our offensive line and Mitchell Trubisky are good. So why are we only getting seven points? It must be because of the bad play calls. And I get that. I want to point out that that all is a, that's a very understandable sentiment to me. But what was funny was you mentioned this. I think you couldn't have said it better. Some of the plays that we executed on last year were plays that we just didn't execute on this year. I'll bring up a perfect play that if we're really honest with ourselves, set the tone for the entire bears season. It came on the first drive of the year against green Bay on that, uh, that pitch play that like short side option play where Trubisky tossed the ball to Cohen the ball hits him in the hands the blocking is fabulous i mean if he all he's got to do catch the pitch and he's off he didn't he dropped it The Bears lost a bunch of yards instead, and we even saw them attempt a similar play. I haven't eyed up the blocking specifically in uh, Kansas City on how Anthony Miller's run would have done in week 16, but he dropped it. I mean, execution across the board, whether whether you think that these calls were too cheeky or not. They were the sorts of things that worked in 2018 and in 2019. They just weren't there. I have been Very complimentary and very uh, defensive of Matt Nagy. If there's one spot I think he really screwed up on, you kind of mentioned it. It was the offseason. He was a big part of this team feeling like they were good. Not only were they good, they were really good. And they were a kicker away. And you know what? Credit to Pace, I guess. Not that I think that Eddie is amazing. More that the kicker did win us a game, in my opinion. That game against uh, D- uh, against Denver was a big one. Eddie Pinheiro came through. He also lost us a game, but we won't get into that. The point is, is that there were a lot of parts on this offense. Again, offensive line, running backs, uh, not really wide receivers. I thought Taylor Gabriel played poorly, but anyways, quarterback. Uh, we could point at tons of spots all across the offense, some even on the defense, and say, these guys regressed. And I do think part of it is because Nagy said, you guys are great. That guy, Cody Parkey, he's bad. And you spend one season being uh, patting yourself on the back and telling yourself you're pretty good. And I don't know. I don't mean to be the guy who's like, ah, you need every single rep in the weight room. These guys are professionals. I'm well aware of that. But they definitely seemed to come into this season without the same fire and without the same attention to detail that they had in 2018. And I think that that was Nagy's biggest mistake. Actual in-game in like in-game play calling and play design and even game plans, I was less ha- angry about. I think angry is a good word because there are a lot of Angry Bears fans this year. But that's... Mm-hmm. It's all opinion and conjecture. Um, But like you said, and this is something great to talk about, I guess, uh, the Bears almost immediately made some serious changes, firing not only Mark Helfrich, which let me just go out and say this. If Nagy didn't fire his offensive coordinator this year, that would have been shocking. Normal, normal move is to just blame the offensive coordinator if you're the offensive head coach. But he also fired Mark Helfrich, who comes with a very, very, very high reputation, high pedigree, and I found that really intriguing. Adam Johns reports, it has a lot to do with the running game. And you know what? I'll just come out and say this. I feel like it always felt as if there was a clear disjoint between the passing game and the running game. The passing game always felt to me more like it was better put together. There were some moments of receivers running into each other, but unfortunately, one of them was usually Anthony Miller. Uh, And it was less common with guys like Javon Wims, Allen Robinson, again, anybody not named Miller. The running game, though, gosh, that was just... I mean, it was abysmal. All year long, Nagy immediately fires uh, fires both guys reported to be uh, to be involved with it, as well as the tight ends, Coach, that we could get into there. But what were your thoughts on the moves that the Bears made after the season? And so, others-
0: basically, well, the firing is already done. So, Mark Helvich, as I said repeatedly, that was a guy that really had to go. I never liked the hire, truth be told. And this is the most optimistic Bears fan come out and saying that was a bad hire from the get-go. I never was impressed too much with what he did in Oregon, and we saw the same issues he had at Oregon up until he was fired in 2016. They came to the Chicago Bears, just execution, execution, execution. You know, topped with bad route. You know, route concepts, run concepts. He's not the one calling the plays, but he's the one helping design plays for the run game, especially. The other one that you're mentioning that was a culprit to the run game, unfortunately, was Harry Heastin, the offensive line coach of the Bears. He was entrusted to help design and execute the run game. I explained this in the threads during the initial reporting of the firings. The entire season, and really the last two years, the run game was nothing but two coaches who could not figure out what the other wants to do. What I mean by that is Mark Helfrich had a manpower-based blocking scheme that he was familiar with in Oregon. You bring in Harry Hestand who is a West Coast zone-blocking type of guy. Those two don't go together, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you adjust. I mean, even Bill Callahan, who was with the Redskins, he conceded that he could adjust his philosophies a little bit, but going from a zone-based scheme to a power-based scheme and back, they're two different fundamentals altogether. And the blocking was just – it wasn't so much it was bad by the players, it was bad by design. Players just could not figure out their assignments. You know, too many times a defensive line would run a stunt, which would be a pretty simple uh, loop or a Texas stunt or could be a zero blitz or it could be a fire blitz to be more advanced. The offensive line just could never pick it up because they don't know who's supposed to block what. You know, too many times we saw this conflict happening, and I saw it from a mile away. So how goes Heastan, who was a very high-regarded offensive lineman coach, but he was a big time culprit behind the run game as well. And to excuse mm-hmm. him of that would have been a mistake. So it's good to see that Matt Nagy was serious to ha- you know, hold everybody accountable. Of course, the one question remains: what are they going to do with Dave Rangone? Is he even under a contract right now? But that's to be determined. But another move I wanted to bring up is they recently hired Louis Castillo, the offensive line coach, very long-time offensive line coach. He's not as legendary as Harry Easton, but one thing I've always been impressed with is he's just really good at getting players to execute, mm-hmm. executing a zone-based blocking scheme. And what this tells me is Matt Nagy's going back to his roots. It's to be determined what happens in an offensive coordinator. I have a couple of names I'll bring up in a few moments, but – If anything's obvious, he's done trying to mix college-based schemes or spread concepts with, you know, West Coast principles. He's going back to what he actually knows. And that starts with Louis Castillo. He's going to be a big influence of the run game. He's going to be a pretty good upgrade in terms of coaching on the offensive line. And, again, he's someone that Matt Nagy knows quite well. Mm -hmm. will help him execute his schemes. So... Those are overall thoughts in terms of the fires they've made and the already one higher they've made. And it just remains to be seen what happens elsewhere absolutely and one thing that
1: sticks out to me when it comes to the hire that they made i know some people are unenthusiastic about castillo one thing that i even saw on twitter was somebody saying i wanted the bears to bring in somebody who was going to run counter to Nagy completely the fact that he's going with somebody that he knows because castillo's got plenty of ties to kansas city and the uh, frankly the reed tree uh there are some fans that are upset about that you ask me I think it's a good move. Uh, It's not something that I'm going to go crazy about. It's more that if there are a couple of ways that this season worked out, now that we've seen Helfrich and Highstand get fired, we either can say that Matt Nagy let these two, he brought them in because they were different than him. He wanted to let them battle it out, craft a run scheme, and he wore its failure all season without Ever throwing them under the bus, if that makes sense. You could sit. Mm-hmm. In, we continuously heard him say, "I really thought we'd run the ball better. I really thought we were going to be able to do it better." But as you saw later in the season, he trusted it less and less, especially in third and one situations where the Bears seem to be like third and short. They seem to be really poor, really not very good at getting consistent yards. With I mean, almost any formation, the I formation rose up, and then it, and then it, that started to uh, fall apart. The point is. Either Matt Nagy brought these guys in to be creative, do something out of his comfort zone, and he wore their failure, which we'd call a good move, or he's doubling down on his own system. And you may hate his system. You really may. That's okay. But if we hate Matt Nagy's offensive system, he's going to get fired anyways. There's, there's no question about that. In 2021 or 2020, when, when Matt Nagy brings everything he has, it's got to work whether it's his running game or somebody else's running game. And him saying, I'm going to go with what I know to try to get this team back on track is not something that I have a problem with. Again, it's not a sexy hire that I'm going to start waving flags about, but it is something that I understand. And if Nagy can get more control of this team, if he can know more pieces so that he's able to get the team on track because regardless of who plays quarterback for the bears in 2019 and i'm not or 2020 i'm not trying to be salacious when i say that because there there are questions they can't function not at a playoff level with the running game that we had this season anybody gets better when you've got a running game and the bears i a lot of fans want power schemes i think scheme preference is perfectly understandable We've watched the Bears run black and blue, like, power-style games for years, eons even. And this is, let's just put it this way, it's different. And, and I understand different is weird, and it may not even work. But I'm willing to let Matt Nagy effectively be Matt Nagy as much as he wants to be so that he can show us whether he's got it or not. Because if this offense can't produce, if it can't run the ball, I don't care about the scheme. I'll, I'll be looking for a change. I know you will too. So Castillo strikes me as more basically going back to the will, saying, I know how this works. I know you know how this works. We've worked together before. Let's go make it happen. And that's good, because I think that the Bears' offensive line definitely needs a talent injection. I'll be the first to say that. Uh, Rashad Coward in particular played really poorly for almost the entire year. He had a really good game against Minnesota, and it just started to fall apart from there. But... We've seen Charles Leno play better than this. We've seen Bobby Massey play better than this. James Daniels took a step back, not a step forward. Cody Whitehair, real solid player, both at center and at guard. I just want him. I want to see him succeed too. But. If Castillo, like you're saying, because I'll be the first to tell you that I don't know a ton about so many of these coaches out there. And I'm so glad you do. If he's somebody that's more execution based than he is scheme oriented, I'm perfectly comfortable with that because the Bears offensive line needs to play as well as the players can. (laughs) Because let me just lay it plain, Bears fans. Four of the five offensive line starters are coming back. There's no way that Bobby Massey, Charles Leno, James Daniels, and, uh, and Cody Whitehair are not starting. Whatever position we put them in, they're, they're starters on this 2020 offensive line. I think we're getting a new right guard. I don't know who it'll be. But you mentioned the offensive coordinator spot. And I know that there are some – there's a lot of uh, – you could almost say that this is a bizarre spot because on any other team it would be a given but given the way that McVay's operated the Rams there's it's not 100% certain the Bears are even going to hire one if they do what are you looking for and who do you think they're
0: looking at so what i'm looking for in an offensive coordinator is someone that really can mesh with Matt Nagy well you know a good example of you know going back to your roots is actually happened in Chicago with Ron Turner now Ron Turner himself not a great offensive coordinator i could barely stand the guy from 2005 to 2009, you can't argue with the fact that they actually had a good running game going. They had a somewhat balanced offense despite all the problems at quarterback. You know, perhaps if Jay Cutler and Ron Turner could get along, that offense could have been something good based off the run game or the ability to get a run game going. Who was offensive line coach back then? Harry Heastan. He's in a scheme he's actually familiar with. So when you force a coach to try to blend in something that they don't really coach, you know, trying to ask a zone-based guy to coach in a man power-based scheme or trying to ask an offensive coordinator to mesh a power-based scheme with a zone-based scheme, it's not going to work. So I'm looking for the next offensive coordinator is somebody that understands what Mandagy wants to do, is great, not good, great, and enforcing route discipline and enforcing pass protection and enforcing discipline through the offense in terms of execution. And then the biggest one, a motivator. Someone that does not just understand how to help develop quarterbacks, someone that motivates quarterbacks to be better. Someone that can get into Mitchell Trubisky, not hold him by the hand, you know, because we all know they're trying to make Trubisky successful. Unless some quarterback we don't know about yet comes along and Ryan Pace falls in love with the guy. But we need someone that can not just help Mitchell Jabisky, you know, from a mental standpoint, he's going to motivate him to be better by any means necessary. And the one guy I really, really think would be the best and really only candidate is Marty Mortenwig. Marty Mortenwig, you know, he's been a very successful offensive coordinator through his career. Let me throw some numbers out there for you. His very first season as an offensive coordinator was in 1998 with the San Francisco 49ers under Steve Mariucci. Okay. Oh, yeah, he's been coaching for a very long time. Well, let me take that back. It was 1997 when he made his debut. One year after he got his start under Steve Mariucci, that 49ers team went 12-4 and with a number-one ranked offense, number-one in points scored, number-one in total yardage, number-two in rush yardage, and number-nine, I believe, in pass yardage. I mean, it's not the first time he finished at the top of the NFL. You know, he's done it a couple more times, 2006, 2010, with the Philadelphia Eagles, number two ranked offense both those years. He went to the Baltimore Ravens, completely different style of football, ran the ball, finished ninth overall offense, number two ranked in the run game. His run game, his pass game, he's one of the few coordinators that can say he's had both a top five run game and a top-five pass game. He really is one of the very best mindsets when it comes to explosive plays, not just executing those plays, but designing those plays, getting his players to really execute to the best of their abilities. That's what Matt Nagy needs. He's an offensive coordinator that wants to teach the West Coast as a head coach. He wants that to be that staple for the team. You know, Case point, Louis Castillo comes back. Marty Morningwig, just so happens to know Matt Nagy. He worked with him for five years at Philadelphia. And fun story about Marty Morningwig, he's the only other assistant coach not named Matt Nagy to call plays under Andy Reid. And he did it in 2006, believe it or not. Only two coaches have ever called plays with Andy Reid as the head coach, Marty Morningwig, or Marty Morningwig, tough name to pronounce. And the other one was Matt Nagy with the Chiefs. So that would be my top guy to add for office corner. If they can't get him, maybe look at Pat Shermer. Maybe you go after the quarterback coach for Kansas City. But Marty mortonwig that's the one guy I'm looking at. I've heard a lot about Kafka.
1: I think your argument for Mortonwig makes a lot of sense. Truth be told, like you're talking about, I just want to see the Bears offense produce. And I'm not trying to evade the question. Again, I try to stay out of coaching. Because uh, at, at least talking about coaching, it's not something that I've got a ton of expertise in. Uh, I could talk about whether a player is or isn't playing well. I could talk about how they could do better. But all I try to watch for in coaching is who did get better, who did get worse. Things obviously did not work almost across the board for the coaches uh, on the Bears this year, hence a lot of their firings. That'll make sense. Who's going to replace them? I don't know. Uh, because when, I mean, what you're talking about, is huge. Something that I have to emphasize is just how important coaching is. And I get it. Not every coach can be everywhere. Let's talk about Matt Nagy, for instance. The guy is, has been, a quarterback first we should expect him to coordinate a good passing game and get the best play he can out of his quarterback because that's his understanding zone that's not to say that he can't coach other things it's more to say that that's going to be his wheelhouse when it came to his current or his play he didn't or it's not that he didn't understand the running game it's that Matt Nagy a quarterback Probably didn't throw many blocks in his life, and he handed the ball off to a running back. So as far as those calling for Kyle Shanahan style running, hey, maybe we could look for that. But that's not something that I would expect Nagy to be a savant in. That's part of what makes Kyle Shanahan as good as he is. I would love to see the Bears, whether they hire an off or an OC or not, just improve. Get better execution because the execution was so poor on some of their plays i know that there were parts exactly like you're talking about all throughout the season where it felt like linemen especially had no idea what they were doing like guys who stepped back and blocked nobody guys who let somebody through that made a play i mean it was it was a disaster uh and i would love to see them improve on the contrary now that we're on the subject of coaching, we might as well just give a coaching eval of sorts. If there's one higher, a, a choice that sh- gives me a bit of faith that Pega- uh, I don't want to spoil who I'm thinking about, that Nagy and Pace know what they're doing when it comes to picking a coach. I think that uh, defensive coordinator Chuck Pagano did a pretty good job this year overall. He took a defense that did or that had leads all throughout 2018 and played like it. They were ferocious. And instead he got really surprisingly good play out of the defensive backs this year, even when their front four just didn't play at the level, partially due to injuries, partially due to just steps back. I'm not coming after Khalil Mack. I'm not about to try to pretend he's a bad player, but he definitely wasn't that productive this year. Um, But regardless, the Bears were able to silently and subtly reduce opponent scoring a lot more than you would expect out of a team that really struggled getting uh, quarterback pressure. Somebody that I'll point out that got a lot better this season. I've never seen Nick Watowski cover so well, Ever. Uh, I know Pagano's known for his work with defensive backs. Maybe he talked with a linebacker coach a little bit because Nick Watowski has never covered that well in his life. While Pagano's schemes were bizarre at times. I know they like to use the word exotic. I like bizarre because he would continue to drop that corner into a deep cover three, and that's why you'd see Bears fans, Kyle Fuller, Prince Mukamura, and others playing Zone. Prince, particularly not very good at it. Kyle giving up those really, really, really uh, not long completions, but the ones where Kyle was 10 yards off of his guy. That's a lot of the Pagano scheme, but it also denied a lot of balls. I don't know. I could go on and on about Pagano. We could spend a lot of time talking about him, but he was somebody that I was relatively impressed with, not Whoa, mind blown, because the Bears' defense didn't match 2018. But in the world of rec- of replacing Fangio, I thought he motivated the players and got pretty good stuff out of the guys that mattered. And it led to an extension that we'll talk about afterwards. What did you think of the coaching in general? Do you think the right guys got fired overall? And uh, what, did you, what in general did you think about this team from the coaching angle?
0: So it's funny you ask that because that is something that in recent years have really been you know, slowly learning more and more about having a very brief um, internship with West Florida, which they just won the national championship for D2. You learn a lot about coaching, and there's so much that goes into coaching football. The biggest one is learning how to handle adversity. And when it comes to handling adversity, I will give it to Matt Nagy that he actually did reasonably well when adversity finally hit the team. Last year, 2018, aside from the kicker fiasco, can you really say the Bears were ever hit with adversity? I would say no. When Trubisky went down for a couple games, again, really wasn't adverse because of how legendary the defense was for that season. 2019, everything hit the fan. Just everybody played bad. team was not making expectations, did not reach the postseason. Adversity is an all-time high. Matt Nagy did what he could to, you know, get them to 500. You know, require some help around along the way. Require the Vikings to sit their starters for Week 17 for crying out loud. But especially having bad losses against the Chargers, the Saints, the Eagles, you never saw the players quit on Matt Nagy. You never saw Matt Nagy kind of try to hide himself like Mark Tressman did or even John Fox to an extent. Matt Nagy was always there to answer questions. He was always there to address what happened and hold his players accountable. It's just it was a bad year. But then, in terms of defense, but Chuck Pagano, I would say you know not only did Mark Helfrich deserve to get fired, he still owes an apology to Chuck Pagano to be completely honest. Because the Bears' defense this year they were very good in holding down their side of the ball. I mean, they didn't get a lot of takeaways. I understand that. They went back down to an almost franchise low, 10 interceptions. I get that. They weren't as magical as it were last season under Vic Fangio, which, oh, yeah, Vic Fangio was there for four seasons before, where this is Chubb first season. But something that really people do understand for a defensive coach like myself, you know, coaching linebackers and defensive linemen, it's a heck of a lot easier when my team has an offense that can put up points and put pressure on that offense, as opposed to expecting my defense to do the pressure by themselves. I mean, you'll be amazed about how much pressure you can put on an opposing offense by scoring more points. I mean, it's not so much pinning your ears back on defense and playing football, it's the opposing offense would have to respect the fact you can put up points too, and then they've got to take more risks. Well, when you take more risks, you lose the ball more. Had Champagano had a competent offense like a like a top 15 offense to back him up I can almost guarantee you the turnovers would have doubled I mean there were some situations where the Bears were so close and you know making big plays Kyle Fuller had three interceptions he dropped off the top you know the tip of his fingers Khalil Mack had a couple of sacks taken away because of penalty Leonard Floyd had a couple of tackles for loss taken away because of penalty I mean just over and over again They had so many opportunities to make big plays, but they couldn't finish because their opposing offense really could not, or excuse me, the Bears offense really could not support them. And then special teams coaching, well, it's a mixed bag. You know, you've got a decent upgrade in the kick return game with Cordero Patterson, but he's also Cordero Patterson. Um, Tariq Cohen, eh. I never really cared for the angles the blockers took or the returners for that matter. I mean, they fired Brock Olivo, who I never really understood to begin with. I just he was kind of a interesting character, is a nice way to say it. Um, it remains to be seen what happens with Chris Tabor. I've said he should be fired a couple of times. Will he be fired eventually? Don't know. But in terms of coaching, I think the Bears have the majority of the right people needed. An upgraded quarterback coach would be nice, um, but in the end, they fire the right guys, they held them accountable, they're going to start over an offense, at least from the coaching perspective, and I expect better results next year because of that.
1: I do too. I think that there's a lot of things that we can look at. I know one thing just to bolster your point about how much pressure helps. If Matt Nagy was really good at one thing last year, it was that he would get that Bears offense to manufacture a lead, even if it's just three, seven, ten points. That was great for the 2018 Bears. And you cannot remove that. No, no defense is going to play that ferociously while behind six points and with an offense so anemic that they're not sure whether I mean, even whether they're going to ever get ahead. It's it's different. And that ability to get leads is debatably more important than the than consistent offense, though. Let's let's not play around. The Bears need consistent offense going forward because, when That ability to generate leads probably more than likely came from pure creativity and stuff that the NFL hadn't seen yet. They've seen it now. We all know that. But at the risk of rehashing things that we've talked about, or the, at the, to make sure we don't rehash things that we've talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about all season long, you mentioned quarterbacks coach, and that's a great segue into the big question. I think the biggest question of the 2020 team, because I've been sitting on this and stewing on it thinking about why in the world Dave Vergoen didn't get fired. Because, let's be honest, it was a little curious, Uh, especially given that this was a season that saw Mitch Trubisky, whether you love him and you think he's going to be really good, or you hate him and you think that should have been his last game as a bear in Week 17, there's no denying that Mitchell Trubisky played worse in 2019, especially when it comes to expectations, than he did in 2018. It looked like he was growing and had just hit snags. Injury certainly didn't help in 2018, 2019. Uh, It just just wasn't very good. And we could talk about breaking down Trubisky more on the granular level later, but at this point, let's just talk about him as the man that he is. I think it may very well be possible that Ragone didn't get fired because he's sort of a pair with Trubisky, that if you change quarterbacks, you might consider changing coach, that you don't want to mess with his development at that moment, and that it's all about the relationship that he's built with, again, that quarterback's coach. The question becomes... Is that or is Trubisky the number one Bears option going into next year? It's a question that I know I've sat and stewed on a lot. What would I do? The obvious choice, in my opinion, is to bring in somebody of, if Trubisky is Mariota, Tannehill level, somebody who could give you a chance. You really need to buoy yourself. Maybe I'm the crazy one, but I doubt I am. You need to buoy yourself against the 2020 possibility that Mitch comes out and bombs again you have to have another option. The question becomes who? I know I talked about this on Twitter. I know you asked me for my trade proposal, so to speak. Uh, somebody that I'm thinking about when it comes to these positions because I think, again, it's really key that the Bears get another option. I've, I've looked at a lot of the guys around the league. A lot of, uh, Some folks want Cam. Some folks really don't want Cam. But when I look at things, if there's an injury risk I want to take, it's Alex Smith. And again, that's really important that his medical evaluation passes because he's had so many surgeries on that broken leg you can't bring in a player if he can't play given that damn, Alex Smith's contract is not a friendly one he has two more guaranteed years that's nasty uh cam Newton in my opinion just a bit too injury or too much of an injury risk for my personal taste uh it's that everybody has their own personal tastes it's my belief that every single time a player gets hurt that's Uh, that's a risk like doesn't matter how recoverable it is if you have a fluke injury that's fully recoverable quote-unquote you're going to get a year older your body has to wear it and especially when it comes to cam who's a running quarterback and has taken a bazillion hits in his career all the surgeries that he's had to me they pile up a little bit too much Derek carr is a name that certainly comes to mind in my opinion that's one of those that's expensive It's more the let's let's really go get somebody option. But even so, the Bears don't have a ton of resources to offer Oakland. And if they won't take just their second round pick to offload uh, like their own that we got in the Mac trade, if that that's the offer I'm putting out there, if I'm Ryan Pace, if they don't want that, we're not doing a deal because the Bears can't afford to overspend on quarterback and sink their boat, though cars contract is a beautiful 20 million dollar 18 20 million dollar single year guaranteed left so if we did take over that contract and you hate him you can get rid of him without much cost unfortunately that it those options are all the best options those are the options of hey the bears might win a super bowl and after that gosh we're looking at like andy dalton ryan fitzpatrick like the other more affordable starters I really struggle to see Mariota because of the agent conflict or conflict that they're both Trubisky uh, that both Mariota and Trubisky have the same agent. I tend to think he would put those guys on the same team, but overall, I think the bears need with whatever cap space they can muster to bring in a pre- basically pretend your team doesn't have a quarterback pretend that Mitch Trubisky isn't on the roster. Go get yourself a quarterback. And if Mitch can beat that guy, that's great. He does have talent. There's no denying Mr. Trubisky has talent. But at the same time, you just have to buoy yourself that maybe things are going to fall off the rails again. And if they do,
0: you have to be prepared. Now, I know that's a lot. What do you think? So in my article recently produced, which was all about how I would fix the franchise, one of the biggest points I made in my fifth step was to adjust the roster. I'm bringing a competition that can go and win the job. I'm not bringing in some Joe Schmo, you know, that says, oh, he will be competition for Trubisky when the plan is. No, he's my backup quarterback, and I hope Trubisky does not lose this guy because if he lost to said guy, I'd be really upset. So my goal here is the days of holding Trubisky's hands is over, okay? It's done. He's had his chance. He's had the opportunity to distance himself from the backups. I mean, I can't remember how many times I had to argue with people about how much better Trubisky is than Chase Daniel, but then they point me to that one game he had against the Vikings this year. Well, what about Chase Daniel, bro? I'm like, I don't want him as my quarterback next year. Are you kidding me? You know, nice guy. you good teammate, but I need better than Chase Daniel. So give me somebody like maybe Cam Newton, which, of course, that's kind of the ultimate risk factor because... Do I know he's going to be able to play like he used to? I have no idea. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not an athletic trainer. You know, I can understand how players recover from injury. I know what to expect from injury, but I don't know what to expect in terms of his performance. Um, and then you get to the less exciting options, like an Andy Dalton. You know, the red-haired wonder. I mean, does he come to Chicago and have a revival like Brian Tannehill has in Tennessee? I don't see that happening. So I'm going to bring in a veteran quarterback. I might look to the trade market. Alex Smith, mm, that is a possible deal, considering he already knows Matt Nagy's offense to a T. He played reasonably well in that offense. But his injuries and his price would be a little much for me. A quarterback I actually might consider trying to trade for is, get ready for this one, Garner Minshew. I actually might be willing to try to ask Jacksonville, hey, do you want Gardner? If not, how much is it going to cost? And with Gardner, is kind of an interesting one because they didn't plan for him to be the starting quarterback. It's Nick Foles. In fact, they can't even get rid of Nick Foles right now anyways because his contract is full of guarantee. So do they have a competition next year between Gardner, Minshew, and Nick Foles? I mean, I'm sitting there... You know, if you can't get rid of Nick Foles, I don't want Nick Foles, if you want something out of nothing, I can give you a couple of picks for Garner Minshew and bring up that discussion. Derek Carr, he's kind of the ultimate nuclear option I posted, but he's not going to go without a first-round pick. I guarantee you that. He's not going out of Oakland without a first-round pick. John Gruden will not have that happen, period. And furthermore, if I trade for Derek Carr... My big philosophy is if I trade for another quarterback, especially if it's a second-round pick or higher, he's my starting quarterback. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. So if I trade for Derek Carr, I have to move Mitchell Trubisky. What can I get for Mitchell Trubisky? Not much. I mean, maybe a conditional pick, and that's it. So when you trade for a quarterback, especially if you pay a good price for him, that's your starting quarterback. So my ultimate option would be Get a veteran quarterback, say maybe a Cam Newton or perhaps I'm trying to think of the other names out there. Teddy Bridgewater, make a run for him. See if he's able to come to, on a reasonable deal, although I expect New Orleans to slap a tag on him. The guy I actually really want is not a free agent. They're going to be in the draft. So my plan would be sign a veteran quarterback to replace Chase Daniel as the backup. We need to get better. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to go in the draft, and if a guy like, say, Jordan Love or Jake Fromm or, you know, if one of the top quarterbacks slide in the draft, I'm getting my guy in the draft. You know, you want to solve your quarterback issue by drafting the guy, not by signing free agents over and over again. And plus, if I spend a pick, say, on Jake Fromm in the second round, I let him compete with Trubisky. If Trubisky wins the job, great. He's my starting quarterback. If Jake Fromm wins the job, hey, that's great. He is my quarterback too. And I have control of him for the next four years. So personally, I think the best way for the Bears to solve a quarterback issue, don't try to force themselves to get a veteran just for having a veteran option. So get a veteran option, but draft one too. Ask the competition that way. So you have a long-term plan B in the roster just in case. I think that's more than fair.
1: I mean, I think drafting a quarterback is the obvious solution. If I could be really candid, the only reason that I'm not somebody who's for drafting a quarterback is because I want to do it next year. I don't think the Bears have the draft capital to get somebody that's really long-term viable. And look, as much as I wish they could reach up and take a Joe Burrow or a Tua Tugavailoa or a uh, Justin Herbert, I don't think they can. And so with that being said, that's where I turn to the guys like Dalton. Uh, And I don't love Andy Dalton. I need to make that absolutely clear. But I do see him as somebody who could be affordable and he could buy the Bears a year. Basically, because to your point, and I think you've put this really well, there are a lot of Bears fans who believe that Mitch Trubisky could beat Andy Dalton in a competition. I don't know if I'm one of them. I really don't. And that's not me trying to come down on Trubisky as much as it's me saying that Andy Dalton is a proven starting roughly average level NFL quarterback who's been in a terrible Cincinnati position. He is somebody that when he gets blocking, he hits a deep shot. And Trubisky can't do that consistently. And so whether Dalton would be an upgrade or not, if I think or I happen to look at him and say, I think he's certainly better than Chase Daniel at the minimum, the biggest problem. And I I would be one of those guys. Uh, Eric I can be really candid about it who would have been arguing with you if I spent more time on Twitter about (laughs) chase Daniel But the key here is that I think anybody anybody who asked for chase Daniel to go in last year. It wasn't about Daniel it was about seeing the offense It was none of this conversation was ever saying chase Daniels really good. That was never the conversation I really think that's important to hear that we make it absolutely clear any Trubisky Daniel conversation was always about Trubisky. It was always a question of if we brought in Case Keenum, would Keenum would Keenum beat? Uh, could Trubisky beat Keenum? Uh, because to your point, that Minnesota Vikings game was, I think, a really good example of Daniel playing solid quarterback. I wish we got that quarterback every week. Obviously, Chase Daniel isn't that quarterback every week. Neither is Mitch Trubisky. But like you talked about. You ended up at the end of the season kind of looking and you mentioned that term separating from the backup. I don't know if Trubisky did. That's not a good thing, especially in your third year as a former second round pick. And people say he didn't pick where he's drafted. I'm aware, but Ryan Pace did. And he it's just that's part of the terms. That's where you get drafted. That's why Mahomes counted it out for us in week sixteen. When it comes to the Bears quarterback situation going forward. I think that they need to set themselves up as best they can. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know, Eric just pantomimed all 10 draft picks and gosh, that, that whole game would just hurt as far as watching Mahomes play. But anyways, I think that if I was the Bears, what would I do? I would look to try to find a way to do something relatively inexpensive. If you can hit on Derek Carr, then maybe maybe you do trade Trubisky because cap space is going to get tight going forward. And if you traded Trubisky, as crazy as that sounds, you wouldn't really be trying to get anything back as much as you'd be trying to move off his 4.8 million. That that would free up because we would keep about out of the 10 million that he'll roughly 10 nine million that'll cost next year. We're keeping 4.8 in signing bonus. We could move 4.8 and free up a little bit for a more expensive quarterback contract. Maybe. That's obviously a big gamble because you're moving your second overall pick. If you think he's got any life in him, you can't trade the guy. That's crazy talk. So it's all about what Pace says. To your point, if we trade for Alex Smith, I struggle to see him as the backup quarterback. If we trade for Cam Newton, he's not the backup quarterback. If we trade for Derek Carr, you could even make the case that if we signed Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Maybe Trubisky is all, almost by default not the starting quarterback, given how statistically poorly he performed, but I actually don't think that's fair. At that point, Trubisky's got a chance. Like He's definitely got the ability to win that job in camp, and if Trubisky loses the job, it will be a sad day in Chicago. I don't care how much you don't like the guy. If, mm-hmm. if he really loses the job to a veteran bridge, that's not a good thing. It never will be a good thing. The question is, is he good enough not to lose it, I don't know, but like you talked about, when it comes to going forward, the key here is going to be both cap management, resource management, and picking how you want to take your shot. I think, personally, Ryan Pace, if he gets any more quarterbacks to choose, he, gets, he has to hit, at least kind of, on making the 2020 Bears better at the spot. And if he can make them better, we're talking get them to league average, he might get to draft one more and He's got to make that happen, but that's at least where I sit. Uh, when it at the moment, uh, just remind us what was in your article. What did you end up choosing? Cards on the table, chips are down. Are you going bridge or are you drafting somebody this year?
0: I'm doing both. Oh, article. Okay. I'm doing both because here's the thing: the quarterback position has to be rebuilt. Trubisky is, you know, he might be a part of the solution. But I have to make my point clear. Trubisky, you're my second overall draft pick from 2017. The two quarterbacks behind you have played better. Your performance at this point has not been the worst I've ever seen. It needs to be better. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to make the Chicago Bears a Super Bowl team. If you're going to be my weak spot, I will replace you. And that's really any conversation you need to have with any quarterback from a coaching perspective, a managerial standpoint. If someone is not performing up to your standard, you have to make it clear. So I'm not sure if Ryan Pace had that chat with Trubisky. I don't know if Matt Nagy does that. doesn't seem to be in his style. Who knows? But the reason why I would prefer to do both because you get a veteran option to compete with Trubisky. You know, someone that's seen... Defenses in the NFL, someone that understands concepts in the run game, passing game, who's responsible for what, has some sort of experience in tough situations as well. Um, so you want me to pick one veteran? Uh, perhaps I want to try to make a run at Teddy Bridgewater. That's my first one. I think he ha- he's more than good enough to be a backup. He's good enough to compete for the starting job. And when he's starting in the NFL, he's not – been a back quarterback. So I'm going to make a run at Teddy Bridgewater. Again, though, I expect him to be franchise tagged. So going to plan B, I started talking to Cam Newton. I started talking to the Washington Redskins. What do you want for Alex Smith? Oh, you want a second round pick? No, thank you. So at that point, I'm going to look at Andy Dalton and say, okay, you've been to the Pro Bowl a couple of times. You've been in the postseason I think once or Twice, maybe. Um, he's had right. some decent years. I think it may even be
1: like four years, but he's lost all his games. And so that in and of itself is its yeah. own question.
0: It's its own question. But then again, the Bengals aren't exactly the model for excellence. Let's not get ourselves here. Um, I hate to do it to you guys in Cincinnati, but I'm just being honest. Um, perhaps Andy Dalton comes in and he competes so with Trubisky. Does he become a Ryan Tannehill type story where he plays at an adequate level and the Bears offense suddenly clicks? Who knows? Does Trubisky get fired up and play to the level we saw him in 2008 for a brief stretch? Who knows? Well, that's beside the point. I go to the draft, and I'm going to look at my quarterbacks available then. Oh, why would you draft another quarterback if you sign one? I'm opportunistic. I'm getting <laughs> – if, if the quarterback I want is on the board – I'm not even kidding here. If Joe Burrow is within a reasonable trade range, I'm doing what I can to go get him because no price is you know, too rich for your quarterback. As Ryan Pace said endlessly, Trubisky was his guy. He went to get him. If Joe Burrow, who's my guy, ain't where close to being available, I'm getting Joe Burrow. But that's not going to happen because he's going number one overall. I can say that with full confidence. Unless Cincinnati does something really stupid, which they've done in the past, but we'll see. He's going to be no number one overall pick, so I'm not trading up that high. So quarterbacks at that point, that become an option. Maybe Justin Herbert slides a little bit towards the second round. That's someone that might be worth trading up for, if not Justin Herbert. Tua Tagovailoa. is he able to play this year? Well, reports are saying he might go back to Alabama if he is able to play. If he's not able to play, he might go in the NFL draft. To see what happens. But quarterbacks I'll be looking at that point would be Jake Fromm from Georgia. Not the strongest arm in the world, but he just he clicks. He makes plays consistently. And then you give him a receiving core led by Allen Robinson. Wait a minute, maybe you have something in Jake Fromm. If not Jake Fromm, maybe Jacob Eason from Washington, or perhaps there is a quarterback. His name is starting to escape my mind a little bit. Uh we played one of the smaller colleges. I'm not talking about Jordan Love, but Eason? well, not Easham. It was uh, oh shoot. I can't remember his name, but we won't worry about that guy. Um so Jordan Love is another option too. Um there are some quarterbacks out there in the draft that really are just a uh, you diamond a dozen. And if I see a guy that I like, I'm going to get that guy,
1: period. I think that's more than fair. Uh, we, At some point, we have to just stop talking about the potential quarterbacks because the real cards on the table truth if, is that we can't because we don't know who's available yet. I mean, Gardner Minshew, for instance, he could very well be the Jacksonville plan at the moment. Cam Newton, maybe he's not moving. Maybe the next guy wants to work with him. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe he stays. Maybe he's not staying, and all these sorts of things. Like, I mean, let's let me just throw out something that would be absolutely insane if it happened. There's a chance that Drew Brees hits the market. Not really. I mean, <laughs> probably not.
0: But I. Contractually, believe... he would hit the market. Exactly. Brady, but if Tom Brady plays anywhere outside New England, I will literally burst out laughing and probably run. Naked on the highway, asking somebody to hit me because that is not going to happen. What if it was in I, Chicago? I have no idea what I would do if it was in Chicago. Like, <laughs> that's a scary. You know, question I have now. to ask. I
1: know.
0: <laughs> if I, good lord, I probably, I probably do the polar bear run inside of frozen Lake Michigan if that happens. <laughs> so, I don't. <laughs> well, think now that's, that's on, that. on the podcast. So, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I did say probably. I didn't say I will. Although okay, fair enough. It. Um, And same thing with Drew Brees, uh, if he's not a New Orleans Saint, I'll be just flabbergasted, just out of their respective situations, but back to your point. Right. The the point being that
1: we can't know who is and isn't available. We can't even know who we're talking about. For crying out loud, maybe the Bengals like Dalton enough as a bridge starter that they draft Burrow and they just keep Dalton. I doubt it. That makes a lot of sense that he would get cut but is it certain? Well, they tried the other guy and Finley was bad enough that they went back to Dalton. That was very awkward. But mm-hmm. anyways, we could we could go back and forth about quarterbacks. The whole free agency frenzy is going to be wild and there will be plenty of time to talk about that. But you know, we can't go this through this podcast talking about Bears recent moves without mentioning Eddie Jackson. We don't have a lot of time. I love the signing. Obviously, it's awesome. I actually agree with the majority of analytical Twitter talking about how not only was Eddie Jackson amazing, but that contract, surprising enough as it is to talk about a record-setting contract, is pretty good in terms of the money value. I think Eddie Jackson could have gotten more, but he didn't. Uh, I think that's a good move going forward. Not only does it continue that Bears cultural aspect of you play good and I'm rewarding you, but moreover, it reassures the team that they're well aware about what's going on in your situation. Eddie Jackson had a amazing downright historic year in 2018, followed it up by a year that most bears fans would. And I'm using air quotes. When I say this say he didn't get enough takeaways. Um, And there's truth to that. But at the same time, he was also one of the best cover safeties in football. They just didn't throw at him. And yes, guys like Aaron, Ed Reed, God, get theirs. It was also in the immediate year after that 2018, I love the move. It's hard to disagree when you're talking about one of the best players in football being signed
0: to a longer deal that keeps him on your team. Quick thoughts? So quick thoughts. Uh, First, the quarterback, I forgot, his name was Jamie Newman, so just the name I drew a blank on. To the Eddie Jackson thought, it's just long overdue. And this is crazy for me to say it's long overdue because this is the first week he was eligible for a new contract. And Ryan Pace said, we're not wasting any damn time. We're going to get this deal done, and Eddie Jackson was all for it. Uh, He got the money he deserved because, I mean, listen, what Eddie Jackson does in that secondary is special. I mean, he truly is a player that can make plays, either strong safety like he did this year. He can make plays all over the field as a free safety, which is what he's done his entire career. And it kind of sends a message to the Bears locker room. We had a bad year. We get that. But we're not giving up on our guys. Eddie Jackson is a core piece of that football team. He's a leader. He's a special story. I mean, to me, he surpassed Mike Brown in terms of Bears' safeties, to be completely honest here. He's just a game changer in that secondary. And plus, if the Bears decided to wait to get a contract extension for him, I guarantee you he'd probably have earned $10 million more million Because the safeties coming off contract this year, you know, Justin Simmons, At a Denver – oh, that was a fun debate I had with Denver Bronco fans, you know, trying to say, oh, Eddie Jackson set the floor for Justin Simmons. No, he did not. Let's just get that real. But safety is about to get, you know, some ridiculous dollars, especially when Adams out of New York becomes a free agent. He's going to have a 50-plus or even a 60-plus million-dollar deal as a safety. Mark my words. Oh, yeah. I mean, they got Eddie Jackson as a fair price. And again, it sends a message to the Bears locker room. We still believe in you guys. You're our players. We're going to get in that field, and we're going to win the damn thing next year. And you know, one
1: thing that I'll throw out there. Is you could, if you wanted to get really crazy here, Eric, you could say that that Eddie Jackson extension also signifies that the Bears may or may not be planning to move away from Trubisky. I know that in his history, uh, Pace has been very forward about who he is and isn't giving his fifth year options to. And the fact that he was noncommittal about Trubisky at all was strange. Let's just put it that way, Mm -hmm. because the fifth year option is the clear best decision when you're talking about a quarterback. And if you're if you're souring on your confidence in your young guy that you have done everything in the world you could to make the most comfortable confidence building environment for this kid, that could tell us something, couple the fact with, and now I'm gonna get really conspiratorial, so just hang in there. Couple that with the fact that George McCaskey uh, and Alan Robinson on Bill Zimmerman's podcast, to Chase Daniel in his interview with ESPN, Nick Witowski again on Bill Zimmerman's podcast. Anytime anybody's asked about this 2018 or 2019 team, they all say the same thing, like the same phrases. They talk about regression. They talk about how the defense needs to score. They talk about how everybody needs to be better you could really build a case that, the, that Pace is preparing for a world where he still doesn't have a fat quarterback contract on the roster. And that that would make this Eddie Jackson deal make even more sense. It already makes sense. The guy's great. He's exactly one of those players that you make space for in the cap. But maybe... Going forward, things won't be as bad as I know I kind of feel like they're getting as the Mac contract stacks up. Akeem Hicks's deal is, I mean, it's still expensive. He's a great player, totally worth it, but it's expensive. You add Eddie Jackson, now he's expensive. Expenses are piling up, and I think Allen Robinson likely due for an extension here fairly soon. The guy's been a beast. But the Bears, if they never end up getting the expensive quarterback contract for Trubisky that most of us, I know I was, are were expecting them to get... Might have a bit just enough cap room basically to continue scraping by. And if anybody's been watching the Eagles over the last three, or four years, just enough to scrape by is the plan. It's the way to do it. There's no sense saving it. You just need to massage, maneuver, manipulate, and get yourself to next year. Hopefully, the Bears going forward, this Eddie Jackson contract doesn't end up being any kind of an anchor because he's been a fabulous player. And I would hate to see that.
0: Yep, and to your point, too. Um, It kind of actually reinforced the idea of maybe the Bears are planning to draft a quarterback early, maybe in the second round, or if there is a guy that won the first round, they'll trade up for the guy. Because, as you mentioned, Ryan Pace did not commit to a fifth-year option. That was astounding. Everything else in the press conference said, Trubisky's our starter, Trubisky's our starter, Trubisky's our starter. You know, typical PR game for Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace. The one thing he was adamant about Actually, there were two things to was adamant about. One, there will be some changes to the backup quarterback position. He already, he's already come out and said he's going to look at how open that locker room is, how open that depth chart position is, and bringing in some new guys in. And then the fact he was not committing to Trubisky for the fifth-year option, you know, that's the cheapest quarterback contract you can get for Trubisky is a fifth-year option. Right now he's saying, no thanks. That's kind of telling me, wait a minute. So Ryan Pace, he wants Trubisky to be the starting quarterback in 2020. But is he starting to suggest there's a chance he could lose the privilege and that it's not going to be 100% guaranteed? Again, words are words. It's going to come down to what they're doing for agency and especially the draft. I guarantee if they draft a quarterback in the second round or third round, if they trade down the third round and get them, that's Matt. That's going to be Ryan Pace's plan B. If you can't beat that guy, next guy in.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's, we're, not, we're not waiting around for more development. We need development, and we need it yesterday. I mean, uh, we, could, we could go back 2019 and review. There's plenty more words to say. Eric, I wish I could talk to you for two and a half hours uh, when it comes to this stuff, but at some point, a podcast is too long. We have hit that point now yeah. an hour and seven minutes into our recording. Uh, like, like I said, there's, I mean, there's going to be so much stuff to talk about. We could talk about draft uh, guys. We could talk about free agency. We could talk about what went wrong on the offense, but at some point, like I said, I got to let you go. You go ahead let the listeners know what are you working on where do you write what can they find you uh, as far as what you're doing and everything else
0: so i'm working on when City see gridiron the one and only best chicago bears blog in the world um that's the same place you can find robert here and a bunch of other really talented and aspiring writers and more or less i mean you like us you love us we're here to the very end so bear down everybody Awesome. See you later, ECD. Later, man. And Bears fans, that's
1: all I have for you. Thanks so much for sticking on throughout this mega podcast, and hopefully we covered everything. If not, we'll certainly be back next week to make sure that I bring you another great guest and we cover whatever other things happen throughout the next Bears week. If you like what I have to say, be sure to follow me on Twitter over at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R O B E R T k-s-c-h-m-i-t-z and follow me on youtube whenever i drop any new analytical videos i'm working on something about charles leno and the bears offensive line that should i don't know when it'll come out but here in the next couple of weeks but until then bear down bears fans and thanks so much for bearing with me